Alcoholics Anonymous is self-supporting through our own contributions. We accept no outside donations. So everything that Alcoholics Anonymous does is paid for by its members. We pass the basket during the meeting. And last wow. year we gave out over 3,000 pieces of literature in those nine offices. Well, wow, that's a lot of work. And so in, you're saying Plymouth County, right? Yes. <clears throat> do, do you know approximately how many um, meetings there are a week in Plymouth County? Um, not since the pandemic, um, Tony. And the reason for that is um, a lot of our uh, groups, um, because of ch where they're, we're meeting churches, etc., uh, you know, that they have closed. Um, a lot have moved to the Zoom platform, um, but I would, it, it's safe to say that there, in that nine communities, there's still dozens of meetings. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous in Eastern Massachusetts, which is Area 30 uh, throughout the United States, um, has hundreds of meetings. There's 122 communities in Eastern Massachusetts made up of 26 districts in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, they have also a lot of groups have had to move to the Zoom Zoom platform. Yeah, <clears throat> last week our guest told us that Eastern Massachusetts was about twenty two hundred meetings a week. That sounds about right. Yeah. Now tomorrow, being New Year's Eve, um, are there special meetings? Are there a lot more meetings than normal, or is it? Well, in AA we do what's called an alcathon, and an alcathon is like a twenty four hour meeting. It will start at a certain time usually 5 p.m. the evening before, and it will go to 5 p.m. the next day. Some of those are being held on Zoom. Some of those are being held on person. And we do these. Uh, uh, Patty talked last week about the trifecta, uh, Thanksgiving, right. Christmas, and New Year's. So we're on the end tail of the trifecta. But that's a place where an alcoholic can go that needs to feel safe because that's a safe environment. You will be surrounded by um, like-minded people, and um, it will, especially if you're a newcomer, that's the place to be if you don't want to drink. Um, nice. To find those meetings, you can go to aaboston.org. That is our central service office uh, in Boston, and you can call them uh, nine, uh, 9 to 9, maybe 9 to 12 tomorrow being the day before the holiday to speak with a local alcoholic to get some information or go on to the website, aaboston.org. Well, that's a good question. So um, give me an idea what you consider alcoholism. Um, alcoholism uh, is a progressive fatal illness uh, that encompasses the mind, the body, and the spirit. It is a threefold illness, unlike most illnesses, which are just physical. It has a mental component which, for, and I will speak for this alcoholic, uh, once I found that magic elixir of alcohol and it made me feel comfortable in the skin that I was in for the first time in my life and I was 13 years old, my goal was to spend every single moment feeling like that. I had a mental obsession with alcohol. How I'm going to drink it, where I'm going to drink it, where I'm going to get it. And in an alcoholic, we also have what's called the physical compulsion, Tony, which is one drink. That first drink was never enough, and 40 was too many. And along with that, we have a spiritual loss of values. And what that means is we no longer have a moral compass. We become people that we never wanted to be. I became a liar and a thief and a cheat. I lost my dreams, my goals, and my ambitions. I went through horrific demoralization as a woman alcoholic drinking in a bar. And you know what? It was okay with me because I could drink. That's not what I grew up to be. I wanted to have dreams, goals, and ambitions. I wanted the white house with the picket fence and the two and a half children and two cars. I wanted to make a difference in my community and in my country and in the world. I wanted to do something with my life. And yet, from the time I picked up to that drink of booze when I was 13 years old until I sobered up in my late 20s, it ran me around by my nose. That's the difference between alcoholism and another illness. We suffer mentally, we suffer physically, we suffer spiritually. The bottom line here is, alcoholism will strip you of everything that you once held dear. You know, normal people change their lifestyles to reach their goals. People who have addiction 
change their goals to continue their lifestyles. And as you and I both know, that is a downward ladder. I've never met anyone in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've been here 45 years, who said, I just got gussied up to come into Alcoholics Anonymous today. My life is great. That's not what happens. By the, oh, time, <laughs> by the time we get to Alcoholics Anonymous again, we are devoid of any good feelings about ourselves or about life in general. Oh, yeah. I, I can remember in Gamblers Anonymous that everybody that walked in was pretty much down on the bottom and broke yep. and owed a lot of money to a lot of people. I mean, back when you were 13, you obviously were quite a manipulator because you couldn't buy alcohol unless you were 21. So somehow you figured out how to get it for the next eight years without having to be old enough to be actually go in and buy it, you know? Well, sure, but, you know, the times were different then. I was born in the 50s, you know, and then I went into the drug, sex, and rock and roll era. I mean, people you could people would stand outside a package store and you'd give them the money and they'd go in. You know, the cops right. would send you, right, the cops would send us home. You know, don't do it again. You know, it's not the case today. Um, and, and why isn't it the case today? Because of the progression of the disease of alcoholism. A lot of us are duly addicted. It wasn't just, you know, booze. Booze stopped working. We went on to other substances. Now, you know, I, I don't talk a lot about that because I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm representing them, to, them tonight. But if booze stops working for you and you want to feel that, that, that magic elixir, that moment of magic, you will do anything. Yes, <clears throat> yes, you will. I know. Um, I remember again in GA writing out checks to the supermarket and hoping that I could, and I kept flipping the checks every 24 hours to try to stay ahead of it so I could get done by the next weekend. And that's when it all caves in after a while because that can only last for so long. Um, well, sure. And, and if I can just interject here, that's not what you d wanted to do with your life. Oh, no. You know, that's not, that, that's not the person you wanted to be. You didn't want to be stealing from Peter to pay Paul and lying to the people that you loved. And do you remember that feeling? Looking at somebody who, who you love, who you made a promise to, who you really, really, really were not going to, it wasn't going to happen again. And then the next day or four days later or whenever you came out of a blackout and they're crying and it's your wife or your husband or your children or someone that loves you and you did it again. Do you remember what that feeling was like in the pit of your stomach? You just wanted the earth to open up and please, please just let me die. Please just oh, yeah. let me die. Yeah. <clears throat> in GA, you just can't sleep at night because you're sweating and worried about all the money you owe people and how you're going to maneuver the next deal. Fortunately, I was in sales so I could make a sale and collect the, get a cash advance and then use the cash advance as long as I could and hopefully I could cover that, you know. That sort of thing. Now, you wanted to talk about some specific things tonight, and I want to give you that opportunity so we... Uh, I do. I, I want um, I want your uh, listeners to know uh, we have a great website. Um, again, uh, our Boston website is aaboston.org. You can call 617-426-9444 to speak to an alcoholic in this area. They can help you find a meeting. Uh, they can talk you off a ledge. And that's important to know, especially now. Um, but we have another website, which is our general service office in New York, which was started by the first couple hundred drunks, you know, in 1939. And it's aa.org. And it is an extremely simple website. So I'm on the home page right now. And the first thing it says is, I am. And here's your selection. I'm looking for a help with a drinking problem. I'm an AA member. I'm trying to help a family member or friend. I'm a professional working with alcoholics. And then that, the next one is take a self-assessment. So if you don't mind too terribly, I just want to go through this self-assessment. Okay. If, if you think you might be having trouble with booze, and the, and the truth of the matter is, I've really never met anybody that came into Alcoholics Anonymous that didn't know they weren't having trouble with booze. It's just that we bury that because we need to drink again. Um, but then we have a 12-question um, survey here. Here's the first question. Have you ever decided to stop drinking for a week or so, but only lasted for a couple of days? These are yes or no answers. Do you wish people would mind their own business about your drinking and stop telling you what to do? Have you ever switched from one kind of drink to another in the hope that this would keep you from getting drunk? Have you had to have a drink upon awakening during the past year? Do you envy people who can drink without getting into trouble? 
Have you had problems connected with drinking during the past year? Has your drinking caused trouble at home? Do you ever try to get extra drinks at a party because you do not get enough booze? Do you tell yourself you can stop drinking anytime you want to, even though you keep getting drunk when you don't want to? Have you missed days of work or school because of drinking? Do you have blackouts? And a blackout is when you wake up and you don't, you don't have no idea how many hours have passed, you don't know where you are, you don't know what you've done. That's a blackout. Have you ever felt that your life would be better if you did not drink? If you honestly answer those questions and you answer yes to four of them, chances are that you are an alcoholic. Um, the other thing that you can do on this website is you can download uh, all of our literature. We have dozens of pamphlets about Alcoholics Anonymous specific to, we have pamphlets for women, we have pamphlets for teenagers, we have pamphlets entitled Too Young, we have a brief guide to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, we have North American Indians, we have black members, we have, we have literature on all of this. You can download one copy free. You can also go onto this website, Tony, and I, I've actually asked the triage at uh, BID in Plymouth to do this. If they've got somebody in there that they know is an alcoholic, you can't get them into a bed. We have 12 videos on this. And we have all the public service announcements that you just played. Um, okay. Which, by the way, I do want to just say this, that those public service announcements that um, your listeners are hearing are paid for by Alcoholics Anonymous members. And we started our campaign um, on WATD four years ago and WMEX once you were bought by ATD. And now that you're on your own, the Eastern Mass Committee has um, contracted for public service announcements for, I think it's a, a six-month stint. And we do that because our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. When we say Alcoholics Anonymous, we are not a secret society. We are an anonymous society. And we do that because we need to maintain our humility, which is why when you introduce me, you introduce me as Linda and my last initial. So when people come to meetings, you don't have people say, well, what am I going to do if I know somebody who's at the meeting? Well, if you know somebody who's at the meeting, chances are they're there for the same reason that you're there. Yeah. You know, they're not here <clears throat> there because they went, went grocery shopping and ended up in an AA meeting. They're yeah, there yeah, I know. because they have a booze problem. But we're so concerned about that when we first come here. And yet, you know, we've been drunk in the bars and we've been drunk in the gutters and we've embarrassed the heck out of ourselves in most instances, right? But we're going to be too embarrassed. Our, our pride... Is, and our ego is not going to allow us to walk into an AA meeting. You don't have to worry about any of that. We don't care, we don't care if you come from Yale or jail. There is no social standing in Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't care about your color. We don't care about your creed. We don't care if you're agnostic, secular, atheist. We don't care about any of that. All we care about is if you have a desire to stop drinking, we have a way out. Oh, that's... <clears throat> Very good to hear. I'm getting overwhelmed here listening to the way you're saying it. <laughs> but um, so um, would you be well, you overwhelmed could, as a newcomer? No, I'd probably I'd be nervous. You know, like most newcomers would be going in something like that. They'd be nervous. I have a. Do you consider alcoholism a disease? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So it's, it, this is not a moral issue. I'm not a bad person who's getting good. I'm a sick person who's getting well. I like that. That's the way. This is not my fault. And how do we, one of the biggest things, because I, I do a lot of opioid uh, stuff, and I deal with a lot of parents who've lost children from overdose, and the biggest problem that the parents go up against is the whole stigma syndrome. Oh, sure. So how does AA uh, teach you, or how do they adjust, you know, how do they prepare you for the stigma that might be coming along with this deal? Well, truthfully, Tony, you know, once you start to get sober, you're moving away from that stigma because now you're in recovery. It's only the practicing alcoholic that is going to remain with that stigma. And by the way, it is still worse for a woman than it is for a man. Um, and so that, that's important. Now, what would I tell the family? I would tell the family the same thing I would tell any family in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. There are there are programs that are similar to AA, and that is where the family goes so the family recovers. Not everybody that comes to Alcoholics Anonymous is going to get sober. And I will tell you how I feel about that. The ones that don't bought me another day of sobriety, and I'm grateful because they show me what not to do. 
Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But, but the family, the wife, the husband, the children. There's Alatine for children. There's uh, adult children of alcoholics. There's Al-Anon for the families. My mother went to Al-Anon. My mother and and, and a little brief story here. I came from an alcoholic family. And um, I swore to God I was never going to be like my father, who was a mean, rotten, vicious drunk. And I became the same thing he was, mean, rotten, vicious drunk. And my mother went to Al-Anon, and she went to Al-Anon for a couple of years, and that's really how I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. But my mother made the decision that regardless of whether her daughter and, and then my younger brother James, who followed me in, whether her kids were getting sober and whether her kids were getting well, she could and she did. And that's an important message that I'd like to convey. If you are a family member, your life does not have to be dictated by a drunk who refuses to stop drinking. You do not have to be codependent. You can get well. And, and there, there's a lot of resentment tied up with that. Well, you know, it, and I get all that resentment, okay? I really do. I get all that resentment. It, 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 because of someone else, you're ending up having to go do the work to get, to get well. Well, you have a choice. You can stay sick or you can get well. And I encourage everyone to get well because the person that you love may not get sober, but you can and your family can get well. And that's important to know. Yeah, it seems from what I've been watch observing, a lot of times a woman or a man who's but has their father or mother is an alcoholic, they go out and they marry somebody who's mm -hmm. an alcoholic. And it seems like, is, is that because of what they're accustomed to? Or is that, you know, is that, when you say people that go to Al-Anon need to get well, so is that a thing that before they, before they even get married, are they prone to go to somebody who's already got alcohol well, well, disease? Well, especially if they came from an alcoholic family. I mean, we marry our fathers, right? I mean, isn't that what they all say? We marry our fathers, we marry our mothers. I mean, certainly that could have something to do with it. But the truth of the matter is, once you know that there's help, you can break that syndrome. And let me tell you how this works. I have a son that I got sober for, because I didn't really care whether I lived or died by the time I got here. But I had a, a young child, and I got sober for him, and I was encouraged to make him my higher power, which I did. You, you don't stay sober on that for a long time, because, you know, alcoholics are, you and I have shared this, you know, we'll find a way out of anything. Uh, to get back to that magic elixir, because it's all about the magic elixir. And um, now I've lost my train of thought because I'm into the magical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into well, my you, magical. You said moment. you got sober for your son. I got sober for my son. And my son was two years old when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. He's 45 now. He's not an alcoholic. He came from two alcoholic parents. My mother turned out to be an alcoholic. My father was a raging alcoholic. My grandfather, my papa, was a, an alcoholic. So not necessarily, once you get sober and you adopt a new way of life in Alcoholics Anonymous through our 12 steps of recovery and our 12 traditions of unity and service by doing what I'm doing tonight, you know, giving my time to come carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, living the right way, I don't have to question my moral issues anymore. You don't have to question your moral issues. You're not flipping checks here, there, stealing from Peter to pay Paul. I don't live like that anymore. I don't have to live like that because I've learned that there is another way. One day at a time, I choose not to drink and I choose to live the life that I was intended to live, which is not the life that I was living when I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. And that'll be for 43 years next year. Well, that's quite an accomplishment, 43 years. It's like, a, you know. It's a lot of hard work. I, yes. I, I will tell you, if people are coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, it, it, it's a lot of hard work to stay sober. Life gets in your way. There are many dark nights of your soul. You, you, you have ho horrible things that life throws your way, and you have to stay sober. Quite frankly, Tony, New Year's is nothing compared to what else I've lived through in my life. Okay? Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's the amateur night kind it, of it, thing. It really is. Uh, I'll give you another story. In World War II, we had members of Alcoholics Anonymous that went to war. And they had nothing but maybe a few pages from our big book, which is called Alcoholics Anonymous. You can buy, get it in any library. You can buy it online. You can go to our general service website. You can order it. Or They had nothing but a few pages. 
and all around them was death and degradation, and they stayed sober. So in New Year's to those of us that have been sober, not a big deal, it's just another day. However, when you're newly sober, and you want to go out and get that magic elixir again, and it's New Year's Eve, and your head is telling you, well, you deserve to get drunk. You deserve to do this. You, you have to make a choice. Sooner or later, you have to say, I'm going to put the big girl pants on, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Look, you, you know, there's many people that are listening that have quit smoking. There's plenty of people that have had to give up sugar. There's plenty of people that have celiac disease, right? We all have to do what we have to do to stay well. Well, alcoholics have to stay away from a drink of booze, a moment at a time, a second at a time, a day at a time, forever. So that's why we break it down to one day. Yeah, usually with the types of addiction that I'm familiar with, um, we replace things with things. So how much is the, in the 12 steps is, it, is the emphasis on religion or God or higher power? And what happens if I'm a drunk and I'm an atheist? We welcome you. We are an inclusive society. We have many alcoholics. We have a brand new brochure that came out, uh, a conference-approved literature two years ago called The God Word. It was first published in Britain, and it is for people of agnostic, secular, and atheist... Um, uh, what was that? Yes. Um, and um, we... Most of us do believe... After a while, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we need to believe in a power greater than ourselves. I was brought up in the Catholic Church. By the time, I, and I went to Catholic school. By the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, all that was gone. I had a very hard time with that issue. And here's what I was told. God can be a group of drunks. Group of drunks. Oh, yeah. That's God. G-O-D. The right. people that, you, that are you are, they're surrounding you. Who, and, and this is what we promise you when we come to Alcoholics Anonymous. We will love you until you can love yourself. We're not going to treat you with kid gloves because you can't kid a kidder. And just because you walked into Alcoholics Anonymous, it does not mean that that fairy that's sitting on your shoulder that's telling you what you should be doing, which of course is going to lead you back to another drink of booze, okay, we're going to look at you and say, ha, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> Yeah. And we're going to call you on it. And you know why we're going to do that? Because somebody loved us enough to do the tough love with us, to keep us on the straight and narrow. That's really what it's about. We call that sponsorship. Now, you know, to, to join many societies, you know, you, they sponsor you to get into the right country club because, you know, you're a good old guy and you've got all the right financials. This is not what the sponsorship is about. This sponsorship is about the person that you can go talk to. You walk into an AA meeting and you say, I'm new. And they say, okay, you're new. We're going to have you talk to this guy right here. And that's the guy you're going to call when you're in trouble. You need Thank a break? You. Yeah, we need to do a little break and give Linda a chance here to take a breath. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Upholding Hope with Uncle Tony. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. You are listening to Upholding Hope with Uncle Tony. Thank you, Ben. And um, if anybody out there would like to call in to ask Linda a question, we're at 781-834-9639, 834-9639. And Ben, what is the, um, if they want to do it online, What is how do they do that? Folks can always email us directly here at the studio anytime of day or night, no matter when you're hearing this, at wmexboston at gmail.com. Or you can go right to our website at wmexboston.com, and there's a box right there on the bottom right-hand side of the homepage where you can message us openly for anything. And you can remain anonymous, just like Linda was saying. If you want to just use your first name or your initials, that's fine with us, because we want you to, you know, be encouraged to call, because I know you must be having questions out there, and what are you thinking, and so forth. Um, the other big thing, if you have a relative who we're trying to get involved or to an AA meeting, I'm going to ask Linda this question. I mean, does a, does a let's say, a spouse go to an Al-Anon meeting first and hear what's going on? And do they, how does somebody learn how to get somebody who's, you know, 
should be going but not going? How does that work? Well, that's, that's a good question. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is it's not usually our family that can do anything with us. I remember my mother taking me to Betty's house. Betty was my first sponsor. Tony, you would have loved her. She was no nonsense gal like us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, she threw me in her house one morning. She said, God, do something with her, would you? <laughs> I mean, you know, you're rat traps when you get here. You really are. You know, you got a squirrel going around in your head and around in your head and around in your head. And so do the, the, the family around us. You know, I mean, they're walking on eggshells all the time that anything that they do wrong could make us go out and drink again. And what an awful way to have to live. Um, so, again, there's recovery for the family, uh, which is the, the spouse, the children, whomever. And then there's the recovery for the alcoholic. One does not necessarily mean that the other has to happen. So if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and that's a term you will hear a lot in Al-Anon and, and in AA, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, go get sober or go get well through the program of Al-Anon and Alateen. You, I encourage anyone who's a family member, uh, to go and, and seek recovery for themselves and not wait for the alcoholic to get sober. Now, the other thing that the family can do is we have different types of meetings in AA. We have open meetings. Anybody can come to an open meeting. Um, and at an open meeting, you will have people uh, that will stand up and tell their stories, just like Patty did last week. And um, you don't have to be an alcoholic to come to those meetings. Doctors come, nurses come. People uh, who work with alcoholics come, spouses come, children come, you know, anyone can come to an open meeting. A closed meeting is for people who have a desire to stop drinking, and that would be a potential AA member. So the AA member can go to, to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and his spouse, his wife, her husband, whomever can go to can go to Eleanor. One does not mean the other has to happen. They can happen independently. Okay, does our Al-Anon meetings on the same website as the AA meetings? Uh, no, that would probably be alanon.org. Yeah, you can just Google it. I mean, you can Google everything today, which is so wonderful. You know, in the beginning when I would sponsor newcomers, you know, I, you tried to tell uh, the newcomers exactly what's in the literature. And, um, and I'd have to go look it up. And trust me when I tell you, we have a lot of literature, okay? And I can see that with all the pamphlets oh, you brought me th here. This is, this is nothing. <laughs> um, and, you know, and as I'm getting older, okay, you know, I'm, I'm retaining less in my head. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Now, no, it means you have so much information up there, it's getting a little crowded. Well, that could be too. Yeah. Um, and, and now all I have to do is Google it, and it'll tell me exactly what page that paragraph is, whether it's in an AA pamphlet or an AA book, or, which is wonderful and I, I absolutely love that um, so the other thing I do want to talk about since we're talking about the family is alcoholics our membership the last time that we did a survey which was 2014 our membership ran from the age of nine years old to over 90 so when you're talking about family members you're talking about mothers you're talking about fathers you're talking about brothers and sisters etc um, so which is why we have some so much um, literature in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like here's a, a brochure that I was showing you today. This is called The Message to Teenagers, How to Tell When Drinking is Becoming a Problem. And this is a simple 12-question quiz to help you decide, decide. And it's done in the format of a comic book. And, and we don't do that to put levity on this because alcoholic, uh, alcoholism is nothing to laugh about. It is a disease that will kill you. We do that because... This is particular to a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old who reads comic books. So Alcoholics Anonymous has had to change with the times. Um, yeah. and, um, and so again, I, you know, I encourage the family to, to seek help and you don't have to wait for the alcoholic to get help to seek help. You can get well by yourself. Well, that's <clears throat> the other thing is I'm, I've talked to some people who run uh, facilities where people go to get detoxed. Now, if, I've, if I'm almost hit bottom and I decide to go to an AA meeting and I'm going to go cold turkey, let's say, do I need medical in, you know, in, intervention here? Do I need to be at a facility you know, like Gosnell or High Point or something? 
Uh, that's a good question, and let me uh, uh, also say something else. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has no affiliation with hospitals. We don't have AA hospitals. We don't run any of those uh, service centers. We, we do not participate in that. Um, <clears throat> uh, however, um, we always encourage people who are new members to seek medical guidance uh, because a lot of us come here with a lot of problems as a result of booze you know, mental problems, physical problems, uh, emotional problems. So we always encourage new members to seek, to seek medical attention. We are not doctors. We are not therapists. What we are is we are alcoholics who have gotten sober, know how to get sober, and can share that with another recovering alcoholic. And that is our only mission. You know, we're, we're not out to take people out of the hospitals. Um, but by that, I mean to tell them, well, you don't need to go to get dried out. We, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to take somebody's life in my hands like that. Why would I do that? Um, yeah. Well, the other thing, there's an illusion out there that uh, I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink beer. Or, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that a few times. You know, <laughs> um, because it's not 90% proof or something. But then, then there's this other uh, thinking. Oh well, I'm done with the hard stuff. I'm only going to drink beer, you know. And they and they get again. They think that they're and that person's an alcoholic because that's how an alcoholic thinks. Exactly, I know. <laughs> that's exactly how an alcoholic. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I'm only uh, you know I'm off the vodka. I, you know I'm off the vodka, and I'm only drinking beer. Which, listen, I had to be at the end of the uh, death row to drink a beer. That was that was not my drug of choice. Let me tell you, would I drink a beer? Yeah, I would drink a beer. Um, but that's exactly the way an alcoholic thinks. You know, we will we will do one thing in, uh, instead of doing another thing because you know I'm. Here's the other thing that is so important, and you just brought this up. Alcoholics love to compare their drinking to another person's drinking. If I was to tell you my story tonight, most people wouldn't believe that I am still alive. And a lot of people would say, well, I didn't do that. I didn't end up, you know, doing those kind of things. And I didn't end up, you know, being a heroin addict. And, and, I, and I was able to hold the job. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, we say none of that matters. My story does not matter. I want you to try to identify with my feelings, with the loss of my self-respect, with my inability to say no. I couldn't say no anymore. I was a people pleaser because I'd lost all my rights as an alcoholic. That's what we ask people to identify with. You can sit in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, Tony, and, and listen, we're a convivial lot. I mean, we come here, we are on our knees, death doorstep, devoid of any good feelings about ourselves, right? And, you know, in a, in a matter of time, these same people, we, our, light, our eyes are sparkling again. We're laughing. And, and, you know, the newcomers will look at us like, you know, we all need mental health because yeah. what are we laughing about? What is to laugh yeah. about? But, you know, and somebody really could be sitting there uh, talking at a meeting about a painful experience that they're walking through. And there will be other members sitting in the room and they will be laughing. And they're not laughing because this person is going through this pain. They're laughing because all of those people walked through that same pain and they didn't drink. And that's what it's all about. It's identifying with another alcoholic. It's not comparing. And that was so important that you brought that up. Because, listen, you, you, have, a, you have an addiction yourself. You know what that comparing's like. Well, I didn't do that or I didn't do this. Because that's the fairy that sits on our shoulder. Forgive me, I call it the shit fairy. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. But, you know, the shit fairy sits on my shoulder and tells me, you know, that's what I need to do, right? Yeah. Because that's alcoholism. Okay, so here's an, another one for you. Um, as a businessman, I've had lots of employees. And uh, it's very sensitive, I think, to me. Um, I've, I've driven one employee to an AA meeting and told him if he didn't go to the meeting that he was done. And it helped for a little while, you know, but eventually. But um, so as, as a business guy, if, if you catch somebody who's secretly drinking during the day on the job, you know, what are, what are my rights? You know, what are, what, what, how do I, how, where is the, I don't want to offend them kind of thing to this is what's going to happen or you're out of here kind of thing. You know, where do I, how do you draw the line? 
Uh, well, I think that's a good question. Legally, I can't answer that, but I will tell you morally, uh, you know, it's called tough love. You have boundaries. You have a business to run. Somebody isn't up to par, bye, see you later. I mean, you're not going to put up with substandard um, um, output from another worker, right? So why should this alcoholic who's giving you substandard work be treated any differently? Right, yeah. You know, th th that's the situation. <clears throat> but you I notice in, in Massachusetts, you really have to document everything if you're going to fire somebody. Well, or you can get sued. Well, you know? I, I have no doubt about that. I told you. I got so uh, I went to the phone company sent me to the employee assistance program. I lost my job. Still didn't sober me up. I, it was years before I got sober. It wasn't enough. And, and yeah. you know, a lot of times we say, well, you know, I've still kept my job. Of course I'm not an alcoholic. I'm still working every day. Oh, okay, but what are you doing, you know, to drink in the booze to get in there? Or... Are you so wound up because you haven't had a drink because you're not going to drink during the day that your uh, your output is terrible? You know, does yeah. your employer have to put up with that? Absolutely not. Why should we expect an employer to put up with that? Now, you fire that alcoholic, that is going to be one mad alcoholic. You know what? Those people saved my life. They saved yeah. my life. That was really the last straw. Yeah, I did have one person who sends me a Christmas card every year and thanks me for yeah. keeping him sober and stuff. And he threatened to throw one of my customers off a cruise ship one day because he was so drunk. And he was the type of guy that could have physically done it. And I had another one who actually had a, a bottle on the top shelf and he had a, a long, like a piece of plastic. And any time he wanted to drink, all he had to do was suck on the piece of plastic, and the vodka was on the other end. Oh yeah, but that guy and, uh, doesn't have a problem, right? Um. Oh yeah. Well, well here's, here's the thing: is <laughs> the thing is like he was one of these guys that could show up every day, was always on time, always made sure that he did all the, he made sure that he punched the time clock at eight o'clock in the morning, and he was always there until five o'clock, and he, you know, until one day, he went off the deep end, you know. And then when after we fired him, I found all this stuff. I couldn't believe it, you know. And, then, and the disappointing thing for if somebody's acting somewhat irrational, you never know. And then I pulled one guy, and he had he had a drawer that he had locked, and then he finally unlocked it, and there was about 25 empty bottles of little nips that sure. were inside that drawer. Sure. I was drinking at my desk. Yeah. You know, when I had a job, I was drinking at my desk. Um, and I, I listen, I honor and acknowledge you for being willing to do that for another human being and treating them with dignity and respect. Yeah. Not everybody can or will do that because you know what? We burn all of our bridges. We really do. We, we, and I often talk to the police about this. You know, they see us at our worst time, at our worst, absolute worst behavior. And yet it's us hating the cops. You know, the, the police have nothing to do with it. It's alcoholism. That's the only thing that we can be angry at is alcoholism. Um, and if you are an employer, there are resources on AI.org that can help you uh, and guide you in what to do. Um, you know, if you have an alcoholic that you want to help, you could look up uh, how to help a, f a family, friend, or member. You could call our local um, Boston Central Service, which is 617-426-9444. Um, and basically, uh, it, it, you know, that's a tough call. It's a tough call. Yeah. So now, as a, as a, that's going to jump around a little bit here. As a sponsor, um, do you have more than one person that you sponsor at a time? Or do oh, I've had up to 13 women. At we, one we, time. We always say women for women and men for men. And we say that because we are sick people getting well, not bad people getting good. And, you know, we, we're human beings. Bottom line here is we're human beings, you know. Oh, yeah. we, we're subject to everything that any other human being is subject to. And it has been our experience that it's men for men and women for women. And uh, we stay pretty darn close to that. But I've had up to 13 people that I've sponsored at any time. Now, the longer I'm in sobriety, I spend most of my time doing this. I spend most of my time in service work. And the reason for that is um, it is a pleasure. I have found out that it is a, uh, an avocation that I'm good at. And... Um, I can help so many more people doing this than I can on a one-to-one -one with one single alcoholic. As you can, you know, you, you do a radio show, right? How many more people do you reach with one radio show than talking to one person? And I'm, I'm not putting down the one per the, talking oh, to no, one person. Oh, no, I know. I would do the one person, too. It's, yeah. it, but this, this is, that's why we bought the radio station is so that we can have this option. And we're trying to get... Um, a nice big F FM antenna put up so we can, when we have to cut power on 
because a lot of people don't understand how streaming works. Right. And so we need to get that other 50% of those people that don't know what an app is, <laughs> you right. know, and, and get them on the, to list to be on the air because uh, we're going to put up an FM tower. And I, I know we have listeners from Learn to Cope from all over the state and um, a few other places that um, are, are listening because they get the word out, you know, and I never, I don't particularly care for social media, but I guess Twitter works pretty good if mm -hmm. you have a lot of following and people know that you're out there. Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous has a YouTube channel. We have a LinkedIn page. We've had to change with the time. We are no yeah. longer relying on our Alcoholics Anonymous big book to carry the message for us. We've had to change with the time. I do want to tell you a story. And um, a lot of people th want to know, this is their burning question. You know, with all the trouble that, that they have in their life, how did I become an alcoholic? How did this happen to me? This is not what I wanted to do. This was not my dreams, goals, and ambitions. Well, you know, when I, uh, as I told you, you know, I'm of a certain age, uh, which was drug, sex, and rock and roll. And in those days, you know, we decided we were going to grow organic food. So we grew zucchini and we grew all this stuff. And, and uh, what are you going to do with all these zucchinis, right? They're like rabbits. They all come out at the same time. They're pretty you know? big, too, yeah, by the time September yeah, comes around. you've got cucumbers, you've got <laughs> zucchinis, you've got all this stuff, right? So you yeah. know what we did? We made pickles, right? So we made pickles. So we take this beautiful cucumber and you put it in some brine and you add some spices. You put it up on the shelf for a while. Maybe three months later you go back and you pull it out. You've got a beautiful pickle. Here's one thing we know about that. I mean, you're obviously of Italian descent with that last name, right? You know all about this. Mm -hmm. That cucumber that turned into a pickle can never be a cucumber again. That's what alcoholism is. You can never be a cucumber again. Try as you might, switching from beer to vodka, not drinking in that certain bar, uh, making sure you eat before you do that, uh, you d decide you're going to drink, only going to a certain place and saying, well, if I go to this place, I'm not... There is so many delineations of I'm not going to get drunk tonight. There is as many as there are alcoholics, and we, between the ages of nine and over 90, there are over two million of us. <laughs> Okay, as of yeah. 2014, there are that many different stories, but that is usually the burning question. How did I become an alcoholic? That is not the question to be asking. The question, the question. is, what do I do about my alcoholism? Because alcoholism, once you are that pickle, you can never be the cucumber again. You have to do something about your alcoholism which is not listening to the fairy sitting on your shoulder telling you this time, here's the story, Tony, this time it's going to be different, right? This time, this day, it's going to be, I, I'm going to figure this out. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get this right. And I woke up the next day out of a blackout, not knowing where I was or who I was with or what I had done. And I will never forget on a cellular level how mortified, humiliated, degraded I was when my mother looked at me and said, do you know what you did last night? And, and I, want, I want to cry right now because I so remember what that felt like. And I had promised her and promised myself it wasn't going to happen. But then I let that fairy in who tells me this time it's going to be different. Yeah, and what about the person who only drinks on weekends? <laughs> How, how did they, like, you know, with, an, with a, a person with an addiction of opioids or heroin or fentanyl, they, they like, got to have it every day. But I've seen these people that just binge drink on Saturday nights, and then by Monday they're back to work, and they don't drink again until the next. I mean, how does that, how does that physically well, is, is, again, is that a common thing? Or uh, that oh, yeah. Alcohol, the, the disease of alcoholism takes many forms in, in different people. But, but basically, what we all share in common is denial, which is not a river in Egypt, Tony. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know you're thinking that. It's denial, right? So the binge drinker, and they're harder to sober up because they think they have control. Okay? Right. Yeah. And some binge drinkers, hey, they only binge every four months. But the truth of the matter is, it's not when you drink or what you drink. What does booze do to you when you drink it? 
that's why you want to ask yourself those 12 questions that I just asked you. Okay? Yeah. It's, alcoholism takes many different forms. And then you have to ask yourself, why do I got to get drunk? Are you that thirsty on Saturday and Sunday? I mean, <laughs> really. I mean, what, what is it about Saturday and Sunday? Oh. Oh. I can sleep Sunday morning, yeah. so oh, it's okay. okay. Yeah, well, well I'm I, justifying it to myself. I des- yeah. There it is. I deserve to drink on Saturday and Sunday because I worked Monday through Friday, right? There's oh, yeah. the denial. That's alcoholism. If that's it, it I, I, I couldn't have put that any better myself. That's exactly what it is. Denial is not the river in Egypt, it's the yeah. ferry sitting on your shoulder. But is it like, um, you know, here's the other thing. My first time I gambled, I was nine years old, and I collected bottles at Marshfield Fair, and I bet $2 on a horse to show. And it was the longest race. It was the last race of the day. So they went around in front of the grandstand three times, so the horse was dead last, dead last, and on the last time around, it actually won the race. And that high I got at nine years old, Yep. Seen a win it and 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 the payoff was two dollars and twenty cents, so I bet two dollars and I won twenty cents, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't the amount of money; it was the rush that that came my way for. I mean, and it got to be so bad that I would, when I was older, a teenager, I, I was thirteen or fourteen, I would leave Marshfield at five thirty or six o'clock and I'd hitchhike to Scarborough, Maine, because they had night racing up mm-hmm. there. You know, and it was just like, just to get that, that rush of winning the, some more money, and it was, and I didn't need the money. That was the thing that was crazy. I mean, the, I actually, you know, and then, by the time I was sixteen, I was selling Jack's cards. You know what those are? Oh yeah. Jack's cards picks the winners here, yeah. picks the winners. So I'm like, he was doing worse. I'm feeding everybody and sure. making money to feed me. And what <laughs> you've just described is obsession and compulsion. Oh yeah. That's what that's what it is. Looking for that magic elixir that you had when you were nine. Something in that moment changed you, and you were a pickle. Yes, and I... you did not know that you were a pickle, and you chased that magic elixir until you got into recovery. Because that's what we do: obsession yeah. and compulsion. You don't think it's obsessive to go from Marshfield to Scarborough, Maine, to drink? Come on. You know, and yeah. planning that whole thing out. You know, I mean, I well, mean, I couldn't go down the local. It was, yeah. you, know, there was, you know, that's the thing. You got to have a bunch of horses, and you got to sure. have a dog track, or, or a, you know, because my father owned horses, so I was around it constantly. Right. So it was like, wasn't one of those things where I. I that's just ism. To, ism. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the ism is: gambling, shopping, sex, wh- whatever. It's ism. We're looking for that magic elixir. Oh yeah, I've I've seen people that same thing with the. When I used to sell full of brush, there used to be people that would just buy stuff because they wanted to buy stuff. Yep. Never use it, just buy it. You know, it was like that was a different. That was before we had QVC, you know, and, right, right. and MSN and all that right. stuff, you know, where you could, you could gamble all you want, you know, and you could buy everything all day, you know. And now they have horse racing and gambling 24 hours on television. All you need to do is have a credit card and you're good to go, you know. Real quick, a question for you along the same lines. Uh, I worked in a situation years ago where uh, the gambling was huge. Scratch tickets, oh, even yeah. something like that. I knew a fellow that uh, you know made all the money in the world, worked for the big dig in Boston when it was a big happening thing, You know, enough money for uh, three kids worth of college. And I actually, unfortunately, had a front row seat. The morning he came down, he used to spend about $500 before 8 a.m. every day. Yep. And one day his wife came down with the kids and they had that confrontation right there at my register and come to find out he had gambled away three children worth the college fund. And he had issued his divorce right there at the same counter that I had served him on for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, to watch something like that unfold and to watch... The whole man's uh, like, like you said, you know, the the big elaborate plan, the big how am I going to get through this, that, and make sure this is covered, that's flipped, this is good, this is paid for, cool, and then to see that rug get ripped out from underneath someone right there, something I'll never forget in my lifetime. I, I just what you guys are doing, what you guys are talking about, I can't commend you enough for the work you're doing, and I just wanted to say on behalf of all the WMEX listeners and all the listeners across everywhere right now, thank you both individually 
for doing what you're doing, comp- uh, competing against the demons that you did, mm-hmm. and coming out victorious. I must give you credit for that both. We have to tell you, though, Ben, for me, and I'm, I'm, I, do, <clears throat> I do Zen Buddhism, and our philosophy is mindfulness, and mm-hmm. we have to stay in the present mm-hmm. moment. It's just now, not in the past and not in the future, and that's the secret for me is that to stay in the present moment. And so this is, this is today, so I don't have to think about how am I going to handle it tomorrow because tomorrow's not here. Right. I don't have that option, and I, if I screwed up back there, well, that's too bad too because I'm not going back anyway. You know, I'm already a pickle. What she says. You're a pickle. <laughs> Best so, thing I've ever heard, by the way. Thank you for that. Um, you know, it's a simple story, right? And and you'd be amazed at how many people in that moment they they can they get that concept. It mm. takes the question away. They get that concept. I just want to wrap this up, if I'm if I might, if you don't mind me, um, get, you know, get putting my power out there. Uh, so our central service office is 617-426-9444. It's aaboston.org. You can speak say, to say it. Say that phone number again. 617-426-9444. You can speak to an alcoholic uh, and uh, about anything or find a meeting. And our New York website is aa.org. We have videos. We have our public service announcements. You can download all of our brochures. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to li- uh, wish your listening audience uh, a safe, sober holiday. And please, if you if you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, whether you're an alcoholic or the family of an alcoholic, there is hope for you. Just reach out. Alcoholics Anonymous and Elanon and Alatine have a solution. Yes, and it can work because we have Linda here as our living proof. That's the truth. Yep. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does take us up to time. And just a little reminder, the, the Italian hour, we'll do something a little bit fun tomorrow for New Year's Eve. We'll be on at 3 o'clock. And um, we got some good ones for you tomorrow. Get you in that fun, fun, happy spirit going into the new year. That's it. Tony, thank you so much. Linda, thank you very much as well for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Upholding Hope here on WMEX 1510 AM, Quincy, Boston.